Thank you for that beautiful music. The first Christmas that Lorraine Pintus and her new husband Peter spent together was a memorable one for Lorraine. They were newly married, as I said, they were low on funds, as newlyweds often are. Peter was what you might call now in the gig economy. He was a a freelancer and his income was unpredictable. And so there wasn't enough money to buy gifts for one another at Christmas. Lorraine had stopped herself a hundred times from buying what she thought was the perfect jacket for Peter because they had agreed to exchange gifts that didn't cost any money. Lorraine had a hard time getting in the Christmas spirit. She grumbled to herself, here it is our first Christmas together and we can't even afford to buy a tree. Well, you can imagine how shocked and surprised she was when she awoke on Christmas morning to find a large package on the kitchen table. You promised you wouldn't spend any money on me, she chided her husband, and he said, I didn't, not a single penny. It turns out he had sold his racquetball racket, his most cherished possession at the time, in order to buy Lorraine a blender. And Lorraine says, I cried, not because the blender was my dream gift, I could have lived my entire life without one, but because my husband had sacrificed something of himself for me. I went to bed that night praising God, saying, thank you for making us poor, otherwise I'd never have known how rich I am. It's always meaningful when someone sacrifices something of themselves on our behalf. They give up something of significance to them for us. And if the recipients of that sacrifice have any measure of gratitude at all, they will respond with appreciation, with devotion, with a willingness to make sacrifices themselves on behalf of the one who sacrificed for them. And Jesus Christ, as we know, sacrificed His very life for us. So what measure of devotion do we owe Him in gratitude, in response to that sacrifice? Would He who gave so much for us be out of line to expect us to sacrifice for Him in return? No, of course not. And in fact, He does expect it. But doing that is how life, real life, is found. I want us to look very briefly at a few words of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 10 this morning. Beginning in verse 37, we're going to read through verse 39. It's a short passage, but nevertheless, if you're able, I would invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word. <coughs> Jesus says, anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake 
will find it. Thank you. Please be seated. Now in verses 37 and 38, Jesus describes those who are worthy of him. But is it possible for anyone to be worthy of Christ? After all, the Bible very clearly tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It says there is none righteous, no, not one. We are completely dependent on God's grace in Christ, on Christ's sacrifice for our salvation, completely, utterly. So is it even proper to talk about being worthy of Jesus? Well, apparently it is, because Jesus is the one who brings it up. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 11, where we read some instructions for taking the Lord's Supper, something we will do later in this service, the Bible says, Whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. And here, Jesus tells us about worthiness, who is unworthy of him. And the bottom line of all of it is that there is nothing, absolutely nothing we can do to become worthy of salvation, of being saved. There is no earning that. We cannot be worthy of that. We need Jesus as our Savior for that. But when He becomes our Savior, our response must be to make Him our Lord. To a Lord, you give obedience. To a Lord, you give devotion. For a Lord, you make sacrifices. We can't live a life worthy of salvation because that demands perfection. But we can live a life worthy of our Lord. And in fact, Jesus asks us to. So what then does it take to live worthy of our Lord? Well, we see in the first part of verse 37 that we are to love Jesus and love Him more than our parents. Our parents sacrifice for us on our behalf. We love them because of that. We recognize that. We owe them a debt of gratitude. But Jesus has sacrificed more for us than even our parents have. And so we are to love Him more than we love even our parents. And then it says we are to love Jesus more than our children in the second part of verse 37, our children for whom we sacrifice so much. Now how do we do that? How can we love Jesus more than we love our children? We do it by a willingness to sacrifice more for Him than we do for them. After all, isn't that what it means to call Jesus Lord? A Lord is to be first place in our Jesus says we must love Him more than these others in order to be worthy of Him. 
But though verse 37 asks for love, verse 38 asks for sacrifice. Sacrifice. It says, whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Now what do you call sacrifice? What does that word mean to you? Is it your opinion that because you come to church once in a while, maybe even more often than that, and even though you're not that crazy about the preaching or the music or maybe the people, do you call that a sacrifice? Can you tell that to the one who wore a crown of thorns on his head for you? Or do you think giving a tenth of your income, your United States of America, one of the highest standards of living in the world income, do you think giving a tenth of that to, to Christ's work through His church as a sacrifice? Or do you think that sacrificing is giving even less than that? Would you tell it to the one with the nail prints in his hands? I can't. I hope you can't either. The author and pastor Erwin Lutzer rightly has said, those who give much without sacrifice are reckoned as having given little. And we saw as much last week when we talked about the poor widow who gave all she had to God in the temple. Mark chapter 12, 41 to 44, as Jesus watched them giving and, and she gave just these two small copper coins. Jesus praised her over those who gave large sums out of their surplus because she had made a real sacrifice. And Jesus says in Luke 17 that when we have done everything we've been told to do, we should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. Jesus says that unless we take up our crosses and follow Him, we are unworthy. And by the way, taking up one's cross is not delayed gratification, the way a mature or a disciplined person puts off a good thing in order to have a better thing later. No, it's not delayed gratification, it is displaced gratification. Foregoing something entirely to benefit others on Christ's behalf. And that's what it means to take up a cross. To displace our gratification entirely on Christ's behalf, for Christ's mission, for Christ's people. That's what a cross is. Jesus, you know, did not have a picnic on the cross. In fact, Jesus didn't only suffer on the cross. Jesus died on the cross. A cruel death, having been beaten within an inch of His life before being hung there. When we take up our crosses, we die to ourselves in order to become what the Bible calls living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto God. But Jesus also tells us that a sacrifice life does not go unrewarded. Jesus says that the way to find real life, 
meaningful life, abundant life, is to spend your life in sacrificial service to others on His behalf. Verse 39 says, whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Those who have tested Jesus at this point can testify. They bear witness to the truth of his words here. That as they surrender their lives to Christ for his purpose, for his will in their lives, real life comes. Mother Teresa of Calcutta would be one shining example. Another was Albert Schweitzer, the brilliant theologian and medical doctor who devoted his life to mission service, to humanitarianism. Schweitzer said, one thing I know, the only ones among you who will be really happy are those who will have sought and found how to serve. When we grasp at life and try to hoard it, when we seek for ourselves attention and influence and power and, and money, when we, when we hoard those things that we think of are what life is all about, we lose our lives. But when we surrender those things to Christ, when we graciously and generously sacrifice on His behalf, we find out what life truly is, what life is about. The devotional writer Oswald Chambers understood that better than most. He said, the meaning of sacrifice is the deliberate giving of the best I have to God that He may make it His and mine forever. If I cling to it, I lose it, and so does God. But if we take up our crosses in surrendered, sacrificial service to Christ, we find real life, even if it costs us our own. In a book of saints, Ann Gordon tells a story frequently told of Father Maximilian Colby, the Jewish Franciscan priest who was imprisoned in February of 1941 at Auschwitz the infamous Nazi concentration camp where four million Jews died at the hands of the Nazis in World War II. If you know his story, you know that in July of 1941, a prisoner escaped from Auschwitz, and in reprisal, the Nazis ordered that ten prisoners would be starved to death to make up for the one that had escaped. Well, Father Colby, who as a Catholic priest was single, offered to take the place of one of those condemned prisoners who was married and had children. And the Nazis let him do it. They put Father Colby in the starvation bunker where he stayed for two weeks until finally the camp doctor took pity on him and put him to death with a lethal injection on August the 14th of 19. 41. Thirty years later, a survivor of Auschwitz described the effect of Father Colby's sacrifice in that circumstance. He said, it was an enormous shock to the whole camp. We became aware that someone among us in this spiritual dark night of the soul was raising the standard of love on high. 
someone unknown like everyone else, tortured and bereft of name and social standing, went to a horrible death for the sake of someone not even related to him. To say that Father Colby died for us or for that person's family is too great a simplification. His death was the salvation of thousands. We were stunned by his act, which became for us a mighty explosion of light in the dark camp. Now known as the saint of Auschwitz, Father Colby's life was like a candle that illuminates others while expending itself, consuming itself. He took up his cross and followed Jesus. He surrendered his life for Jesus' sake, by the way, long before he sacrificed himself for another at Auschwitz. And in so doing, he found a life that never ends, a life that can never be lost, a life worthy of his Lord. Have you found a life worthy of your Lord? The one who sacrificed it all for you? Jesus tells us how. And he's given each of us the ability, the strength to do it. All we need is the courage. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Jesus truly did pay it all on our behalf. He gave everything that he had. He bled out his life on the cross for us. He gave his body on the cross for us. He asks that we remember that sacrifice, and so we shall this day. I pray, Lord, that we recognize the love that that represents, the love you have for us that is boundless and unequal, the love that motivated Jesus to go to the cross to save us. Jesus taught us that you love the world so that you gave your only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. I pray, God, we might respond to that sacrifice appropriately today with not just our contributions, not just our pledges, but with our very lives. May we surrender ourselves to You fully and completely and follow you wherever you may lead. That when all is said and done, we might be deemed worthy of our Lord. Make it so, God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing a song of invitation. I surrender all. And then we will come to the Lord's table together. But as this music is played, as the song is sung, if you have a response that you know you need to make for Christ's sacrifice this morning, I'll be waiting at the front to receive you. You can confess Jesus as Lord. 
You can unite with His church. You can follow Him in obedience in believer's baptism.